Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by Jana Linet, a Senior Strategic Policy Advisor with AARP Public Policies Institute's Livable Communities Team. Jana is passionate about the roles community design and transportation service play in the lives of people of all ages, abilities, and incomes. For Jana, health and quality of life is a main focus in community design and transportation services. Jana, welcome to the show. We are excited to talk with you and learn more about age-friendly transportation options and considerations. Thank you so much, Dr. Gordon. It's such a pleasure to be on your show. Yes. Well, we dive right in on In Clear Terms because we like to know what's going on. So let's start with finding out why does AARP even care about transportation? It doesn't necessarily seem like a natural fit. So can you explain? I know that many folks know AARP more through the work that we do in financial security and health security. But really, when you think about it, if one lives until age 70, there's a good chance that we will outlive our driving years anywhere from seven to 10 years. So there's a whole decade at the end of life often where you can't just go to your car with your car keys and go wherever you want. And so how do we access transportation services? And that can be particularly challenging for individuals who have driven all of their lives. Absolutely, because driving, it gives you this sense of independence. So when you even start thinking about driving as not an option, especially in California, where we count so much on our vehicles, that can become something that is definitely an area where AARP would look at and address. So as we're looking at it, what does age-friendly, inclusive transportation in a community look like? Well, I think it involves transportation systems, one, that are safe, that are affordable, that are accessible, as well as convenient. And those are the four principles that I always keep front and center as I'm talking to various folks in communities who are making decisions about transportation. Oh, those are really good for them to be safe, affordable, accessible, and convenient. So is there a plan out there that offers something like that? Well, I think it's always a work in progress. You know, every community, every state is tackling this in different ways. But I think that there are some really exciting things happening out there right now. So, for instance, in the state of California, there's one project that is headed up by the state is the California Integrated transportation project. So let me ask you this, is the universal mobility 
service? Is that a plan or is that something that would be considered a plan? Mobility as a service is really a concept out there right now that a number of different actors are working on to build out. And these actors include public transportation providers, private companies like automotive companies, in state DOTs even. First, let me describe what mobility as a service is. It's a notion that rather than accessing your transportation through your own private vehicle, you access transportation through a platform of services, an array of services. So for instance, LA Metro is trying to build what would be considered a mobility as a service platform where customers can come into say, a website or their transit app and see not only when does the next bus arrive at a particular location to get me to a destination, but also what are the other services available at my disposal. And it could even include tolling or the ability to pay for parking through the same system. So it's trying to bring all the different ways that one can get around the community into a common platform to create what we call these look, book, and pay type of ecosystems. So you look up by origin destination of the trip that you want to take. You see what the different options are, whether it's the bus, the train, taking one of the ride hailing companies, or maybe even paratransit or a bike share or scooter share. It's bringing it all together to give the customer all of those options. So that's one example. Another example is the state of Minnesota. Their DOT is building out a mobility as a service platform And that includes local regular bus, those that run on fixed route buses, as well as paratransit vehicles, as well as the scooter share, and even connecting to inner city bus services. In this case, in Minnesota, it's Jefferson Lines, but in other cases, it could be Greyhound. So it's bringing both publicly provided services together with privately provided services and really making it a very convenient experience for the customer. Jana, this is such good information. I love this idea of look, book, and pay. I remember actually going on to uh, Amtrak or one of these sites where I was trying to book something. And what ended up happening is it showed me different options. If I wanted to take a bus or if I were walking or if I did this, this is the amount of time it would take. And this is how I would navigate a system. So looking at it, booking it, and then paying for whichever option you're going to get. And I love that it gives you different options for how much it's going to cost. So you can actually look at it and say, "Eh, I'm willing to take a little bit more time because it's a little bit cheaper. Love that. Thanks for that. What are some of the common barriers for people when it comes to public transportation? Well, I think one of the barriers in some suburban communities as well as rural communities, there's just inadequate transportation services in place. And number one is we need to increase the investment in transportation and make sure that people who need a ride have access to that transportation. But also in communities, even where there is service, and I would imagine that a lot of your listeners are not aware that 70 to 80 percent of our counties in the United States have some form of public transportation, but often it doesn't follow a fixed route or schedule. And so people may see the bus go by or the van and not realize that it's open service to everyone. And so being able to know that the service exists, that's a barrier. Also knowing how to use the service. If you haven't spent a lifetime using public transportation, we have all of these new transit apps to get real-time bus information. How do you use that? 
How do you even get on board and pay for the bus in this day and age with a smart trip card? Where do you get the smart trip card? So all of that can be a barrier for some folks. But other barriers include if you have to rely on more specialized services like paratransit, is being able to navigate the very fragmented set of services in communities across the country. And then finally, I would say that if you are relying on regular bus or rail service, is there a safe and accessible sidewalk network in order to walk or otherwise get yourself to those stops and stations? So there's a whole array. And one of the exciting things happening at the federal level is the complete trip deployment, which is funding various projects around the country to try to look at the whole trip from the time you plan the trip to the time you disembark and make it to your destination and everything in between. It includes how you get to the stop. It includes how you ride the vehicle and what types of accessible features need to be on the vehicle the communications with the driver, et cetera. So it's looking at that full trip. These are amazing insights in terms of understanding what are some of the challenges that our age-friendly communities might have and how we might address them. As we talked about those barriers, I'm curious, were there different barriers or did you notice any new trends post-pandemic? Yeah, post-pandemic is interesting. I have anecdotally heard that some systems are cutting down service, either reducing the hours or the frequency of buses on routes or cutting some routes. I don't know how widespread that is. I think transit systems around the country right now, they are still tapping CARES Act funding from the pandemic to help cover some of their costs. But that is probably short-lived. We have this large new transportation law that's providing a tremendous amount of funding for transportation, including public transportation. But in cities, that's largely in the form of capital. So localities and states still need to come up with the funding for operating those new buses and rail cars. And so I think we cannot sit back to comfortably and still need to be talking with our local and state officials on the need to continue to fund transportation services. You mentioned some of those barriers being not being aware of what's out there, not being aware of what we can actually hop on as a ride share option and just not knowing how to navigate things. How can communities work through these barriers and advocate and implement age-friendly design and Are there ways that our listeners can get involved at any of the levels, national, state, or local? Just on the side of system design, these mobility-as-a-service platforms, one of the exciting projects in California is the California Integrated Travel Project. And what it's doing, it's taking information about already transit agencies or these third-party app developers such as Google Maps can pull in real-time bus information when it follows a fixed route or schedule. So I don't know how many of your listeners are aware that just like you would go onto your smartphone and look up, how do I drive from point A to point B? Google will give you turn-by-turn directions. But you can also click on the train on that app and get bus information, the next bus from where you're standing or origin destination, or even put in, I want to travel tomorrow at X time. And it'll give you that public transportation information. But what California is now working on is 
How do we access those transportation services that don't follow a fixed route or schedule that you may have to schedule ahead of time? And so they're working to bring that into transportation planning, trip planning apps. In addition, some of those services require certain eligibility. So maybe not everyone qualifies for the ADA paratransit service. You have to have a certifiable disability. But each system, and there are over 200 systems across California at least, they might have their own eligibility criteria. And so how can they bring all of that together and make it easy for the customer in order to be pre-qualified and then understand when the vehicle is available and schedule a trip and then pay for that trip. So California is trying to make it much easier for the customer to access these types of services. So that's kind of a state level, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's going to be implemented through working with local transit agencies and other transportation providers in the community. The other thing on the accessible design standpoint, how do we make sure that our sidewalk network is safe and there and well-maintained? And one of the areas, AARP through our state offices, does a lot of work in things like what's called complete streets policies or vision zero policies. Vision zero can be typically adopted at the local level But these are commitments that local government makes to basically eliminating all traffic fatalities and serious road injuries due to traffic crashes. And then these communities make a commitment as to how they're going to go about addressing those types of issues. And as part of that, I think community activists and advocates can get involved by pushing their community, one, to adopt these policies, and two, to really pull data that the community will have, but maybe it's not being shared publicly, to understand where are each of these crashes happening? Can we put those on a map? Do we see trends? Do we see problem streets, problem areas? And can we put the public investment toward fixing those roads? Oftentimes, it's a matter of slowing down traffic so that when crashes happen, if you can't eliminate all of the crashes, at least they're not killing people in the process because speed kills. Yes, absolutely. And with you mentioning that, too often older adults are the victims of pedestrian fatalities and injuries. Recently, there was an article that pedestrian deaths are on the rise in the Los Angeles area. And can you speak a little bit more to this? What is being done to protect pedestrians? You mentioned Vision Zero Tell us a little bit more about what that is and the whole idea of complete streets plan. What are those? Yeah, sure. But first, let me just mention, I can't underscore it enough how big a crisis this is in terms of the rise in pedestrian fatalities. The country for several decades was making improvements. And during the pandemic, it just exploded. And we saw that with less traffic on the road, people could drive faster and it became very evident that the design of our roadways is not done in such a way as to promote traffic safety. So just to give you a sense, the 2021, it was a historic year. We saw something like a 13% increase nationwide in pedestrian fatalities. And this is at a time when getting around by car is actually getting a little bit safer because of the improvements in vehicle safety. But For people who are trying to walk, bike, use public transportation, which involves often a walk trip, 
it has become a more dangerous environment and we have to get control over this. So some of those strategies, again, these vision zero policies, and I mentioned complete streets policies, it's really an acknowledgement by the city, a state DOT, that we are going to look at how we plan, design, build, maintain our roads for all users, not just drivers. We need to be looking at what's the safety for pedestrians as well as cyclists, public transportation users, et cetera. So if I look at any trends happening in transportation, one of those trends is I think there's a greater acknowledgement among our decision makers on how we need to think of our road system as a system for all these different ways of getting around the community. And in doing that, we benefit drivers as well. The listeners are probably clear. I'm not clear. What is Vision Zero? What is that policy? So Vision Zero is a commitment. It's a strategy. It basically is an overarching statement by local governments to say, we are going to eliminate traffic fatalities on our roads. And they set the time frame and they set the action agenda for how they plan on going about doing this. But it's a very collaborative process with the community to identify where the hazards are and figure out how to address them. That's great. And I know AARP is a strong supporter of these Vision Zero policies. Is there anything that the listeners can do to support? One, if their community hasn't signed on to the Vision Zero network and put in place a Vision Zero policy, encourage your local officials to proceed. It is an important thing to do. And if you have, then I think it is working with the city planners, traffic engineers on those strategies for implementation. But just on the personal side, for folks who may not have the time or the inclination to get involved at an advocacy level, there's also just looking at your own way of being behind the wheel as you drive. Again, I mentioned speed kills. And so following traffic laws that are out there is really important for traffic safety. So if you can bring your speed and vehicles down to what is the posted speed, it will help to make a safer place for everyone. And it also helps to make the environment more pleasant for other road users as well. Right. So get involved at the local level with your city officials and also within the community and make that conscious effort yourself to slow down and to speak with people about slowing down. I think that's so important here on my block. Actually, one of my neighbors that recently moved in has young kids and noticed people just speeding up and down our street. And so he got very active right away. And we all signed petitions to get speed bumps on our street. And we were able to get these speed bumps put in. And it's really helped with the traffic flow in terms of people speeding down our street. Now we have to get with the people who are doing the little pop wheelies in the intersection. And we're like, okay, we got to stop that one too. As we think of transportation as part of not just our small communities, but a larger community design plan, What are the benefits of this idea of transit-oriented development? This has been a growing trend in California. And can you just define a little bit what transit-oriented development is and how, again, it may benefit a community? Well, transit-oriented development is all about aligning your land use with your transportation investments, in particular public transportation investments. 
And so it's concentrating the highest density development around transit stations within a walking distance of a transit station, say a half a mile, and also designing them so that there's a mix of different types of land uses. So you include residential apartments, you include offices, you include retail. And by putting all of that together, it helps to create a market for public transportation users who are going to ride that system. It also is looking at how you design the streets around that, where you emphasize pedestrian-oriented design. It then makes the neighborhood very convenient so people can get around not only by public transportation, but also meet many of their needs locally just by walking or a short bike ride. And so the benefits to the residents who live there or work there are that it's just so convenient to be able to live life even without owning an automobile. But the benefits to the larger community is when we, as a collective society, invest in public transportation, we want to make sure that it's being used to get the full tax dollar benefit out of that investment. And so that's concentrating your development around those stations will help to do that. We can't afford to bring high capacity public transportation to every neighborhood. And so where we do bring higher capacity public transportation, we want to make sure we have the people there to serve that. Okay, wonderful. That's really a clear way of explaining what it is. And I'm happy that in my neighborhood, we actually are getting the train, the rail is coming through. And I never thought I'd see that. But those are the type of things that it's understandable. You can't invest in something where people aren't going to really use it. It doesn't seem to benefit as much. I would like to add, though, that you can have transit-oriented development at different scales for different levels of public transportation. So we've even seen small cities like La Crosse, Wisconsin, They don't have a rail system, but they do have a bus hub where they bring their city bus routes together with inner city buses, and it creates a hub in the downtown area. And then they invested in retail that wrapped around this bus hub that went into the middle of the block under the building. And then on top of that, retail offices and even on top of that, residential apartment buildings. And so they were able to do kind of a multi-factor investment, including affordable housing into that scheme. So it's helping people who need a more affordable place to live have close access to the best public transportation that the city was able to provide. And what a great way to mix use property to actually use it in all those different ways. And to wrap that around transportation, actually, very, very interesting. I love it when we see the innovation of what our minds can do. And thinking of innovation, what about the future of transportation? We haven't quite seen the Jetsons vehicles flying across the sky yet, but what are some trends that we're seeing in the future of transportation? Well, one of those trends I mentioned, I think there's a growing recognition about the need to design our streets for all road users. I also see an incredible amount of energy around the country along combination of transit planners and software developers who are using technology to try to create these systems to make it much more convenient for people to access a whole array of different transportation services. And Down the road on the horizon, we're still looking at what does it mean, this whole notion of automated vehicles? And is there a role for those to play in 
well, mobility as a service systems, perhaps they will be used as part of ride hailing services that people can tap and even some personal auto ownership. So there's a lot happening in transportation. It's actually a really exciting time and it's woken up from being a sleepy profession to like, wow, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. There is a lot of cool things. I had an opportunity to sit in a self-parking car some years back and I freaked out every single time it tried to park for me and I would never let it park for me. It couldn't parallel park for me. And they kept saying, you just have to just let go. I cannot do it. I have to park the car myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not hugely popular when you survey folks. The longer you've been driving, I think the more skeptical you are that a machine is able to perform the way you perform. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you authored an article and wrote that transportation experts foresee a future in which shared mobility and autonomous vehicles or AVs sets off a revolution in the transportation sector. One in which we are no longer chained to our privately owned cars and their designated parking spaces and instead can move freely via a range of transportation modes and options. While this transportation future unfolds in real time, there's a danger that the full range of the population is not considered and the harder to serve will fall through the cracks, unquote. How is AARP helping to ensure older adults are considered in the future of transportation? Yeah, so this notion, it comes back to the idea of mobility as a service, as well as the design of each of the pieces of the puzzle. So with mobility as a service, AARP is showing up. We're having conversations with industry, folks who are planning these new mobility ecosystems and making sure they're thinking about the needs of older adults, that they understand that not everyone can walk to the bus stop to access that regular bus service. Not everyone's going to be able to hop on a scooter or an electric bike, and we need to have the full array of services, and then we need to make it easy for people to access those services and make sure they're affordable. On the vehicle design side, what many industry experts believe is that automated vehicles will roll out through services such as ride-hailing services with automated vehicles. And We need to think about how is the vehicle designed? How will someone who uses a walker or a wheelchair be able to get in and out of those vehicles? If someone needs to have someone travel with them, will that be part of the scheme of things to enable that? How do they call for a ride? There's just a whole array of things to be considering in that design. And so you really have to put many different users in the front of mind as you design. It's not just your able-bodied 65-year-old that you're designing for. Jana, I love how you think because I wouldn't even think that far out in terms of looking at how everyone is impacted. And that's the whole part of what I love about your passion in terms of being inclusive of all ages and abilities and thinking the system all the way through. This has been such an enlightening and interesting conversation, but it's about time for us to wrap up. So before we wrap up, are there any last transportation issues or tips that you want to touch on or any final comments? I just want to mention one other opportunity for folks to get involved in their communities. 
is through our network of age-friendly states and communities. And this is a network now of over 700 communities that have joined this network. And it's another area where you could push your local elected leaders to sign on and join the network. It's really a fabulous way to get lots of great resources, as well as network not only with colleagues in the United States, but across the world, because it is an international movement. And there's a framework and, again, good resources to help support you. Also, aarp.org slash livable. You can download great information on many of the things that we've been talking about here today and other things like housing, easy to understand resources, very visual. And then finally, folks can visit my website, aarp.org slash future of transportation. Okay, so we have aarp.org forward slash livable. And our other is aarp.org forward slash future of transportation. Jana, thank you so much for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. Thank you, Dr. Gordon. Jana, thank you for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. Again, we've had the pleasure of speaking with Jana Lynott a Senior Strategic Policy Advisor with AARP Public Policy Institute on Age-Friendly Transportation. You can learn more about AARP's livable communities work and resources at aarp.org forward slash livable. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voices of those 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms with AARP California.